church she's been a missionary in brazil for 20 years i believe that's what she said was 20 years and is a key member of our church here now and she's got a great story so hopefully y'all enjoy it i think i just said y'all didn't mean to that was an accident i could edit this but what's the point and uh yeah if you like this please subscribe to the podcast uh share it and give us a rating on itunes Hello everyone, we're back from a nice month off of holidays, having done a podcast since before Christmas, because Carrie needs his break, and thought, why not come back with Sandra uh, from our church here, and you know, I thought I'd just start recording this now, because she had questions for me, so what do you want to know? Well, what I'd like to know, first of all, hi Verity Church, I'm just really uh, pleased to be here, it's an honor. Um, what I'd like to know from Carrie is how did this podcast idea come about? Um, what, what is it that you like about it? What, what gives you joy in doing this? So I think the way this started and I'm guessing it wasn't on, we must have not talked about it on the first podcast because you just said that you've listened to all of them. And what was your review after listening to all of them? I thought they were great. Everyone needed to hear that. (laughs) I want to make sure that everyone heard that. Yeah, they're great. Um, Who does a better job, you think, Stan or I? Oh, I'm not going down that road. All right. Well, maybe <laughs> if you leave like a, a written public review, you can answer that okay, question. Assuming okay. it, you land on the right side. Okay. Um, but I had been listening to podcasts myself for a while. And I remember hearing about them way back whenever they came out and not understanding why anyone would bother. Like, why would you listen to something when you... Uh, sorry, that's not music. Okay. Uh, if... It, if I want to, uh, the way it sounded to me was, I thought like I could listen to something. Well, then I would listen to music. Other, the, the things that they would be talking about, like, uh, like maybe a conversation like we would have. I'm like, well, why wouldn't I watch that? I okay. can oh, watch yeah. a video of that. That's yeah, better. Yeah. yeah. And then, you know, however many years go by that podcasts have been around and, I think the first time I listened to one, it was a like a movie review that I had heard like someone that I knew, um, I wanted to hear their opinion about a movie. 
and they had a podcast and I thought, okay, I threw that on while I was doing something else. And I'm like, oh, it'd be funny to listen to this. And I thought, okay, yeah, it's pretty cool. And then, you know, some more time goes by and I started actually listening regularly to podcasts and it was some I could do, I would do while I drive or while I exercise or something. And I'm not, I'm weirdly emotional or like my emotions are strange and that like when I exercise, it doesn't, I can listen to a podcast. I get like, I've got, I haven't used an iPod still up to like this year. Everyone else using their phones, but I never had enough data or whatever to stream music, but, (laughs) or podcasts on my, so on my phone or iPod, even I have all different range of music and I wouldn't be like, all right, exercise playlist, you know, get me pumped up. I'd be like, oh no, just shuffle. Oh, classical, whatever. Like in stuff that you're not supposed to listen to while you're exercising. Um, so I'd listen to podcasts cause it was, I've started finding, this is a lot more interesting than music for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, cause I'm learning things and whatnot. And, um, so I started all, having all this time in my day that suddenly I'm actually learning something really. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'd start, I'd done audio books a few times before that too. And it's just like, Oh wow. Like I finished a book in a week of driving okay. that, you know, otherwise was just music and not hating on music or anything. But for me, I found that find it found more fulfilling. And so I was then sort of into that world. And then I got asked by Stan to do his radio show with him that he was putting out on Faith FM. And it was, he would have his Sunday sermon and then hopefully I'm getting this right. This is my interpretation from when I did the show a few times. Uh, he'd edit the Sunday sermon into chunks and then those would go on Faith FM, but then we would record intros and outros and little discussions that would go in between and yeah. around yeah, the yeah. sermon. And I was like, oh, this is fun. And like, this is kind of, you know, like podcasting in a sense that, I mean, there's not a whole lot of difference, I guess, between radio and podcasting, other than maybe uh, the length or something. Someone else would know. Because uh, um, even podcasts can go live. Yeah. Our, the radio wasn't live. But I started thinking, like, oh, wow, like, there's a lot of interesting conversations to have. And I would enjoy doing them. And I must have talked to Stan about doing that. And we did a few. And then at some point, he... I think was even like, well, there's no point in doing the radio paying to put these on the stuff on the radio when we can do a lot more with this for free. And, um, I kind of, I guess, steer the whole thing. I come up with ideas or people that usually to talk to, and then, uh, Stan makes it on when he can. And then sometimes I do my own things where I'm just like, Oh, this would be an interesting thing to, explore and I come up with research some topic or whatever mm-hmm. yeah so that's our origin story I think I love listening to people's stories I think they're unique I think they're wonderful I think it tells a lot about someone's faith in their stories where they've come from where they are where they want to go in life um, so yeah 
I've enjoyed your podcast. Thanks for doing it. <laughs> it's been great. Yeah, and I mean, for our church, I think it's really good. I mean, it's great if other people if we can grow it, but I did sort of come up with the idea based on something we had met. Uh, Stan and I met some guy a few years ago about like how to do social media, and he mentioned doing like little interviews with someone and then putting their picture up with the little blurb of you know who they are yeah. and it's just people in your church getting to know people in church and i started thinking like oh well, why recently i was like why don't we do that but with the podcast like you don't just get a paragraph about right. someone like <laughs> we can get a whole hour and that's the thing that you i guess get from this is that might be different than I think why podcasts can be popular is because you can get so much time with s someone and hear all this stuff and you don't need to edit things out for time. It's just like, you know, people can pause and come back later. That's right. They can fast forward themselves um, yeah. or whatever. But yeah, I guess that's why you're here <laughs> is to okay. hear your story because okay. I mean, I'm guessing about 50% of the people here know you pretty well that came from Lincoln. Yeah. And then the other half that came from Evangel know you as well as you've come off during Sunday services, right. really, right? Like, right. Which doesn't get very deep no. uh, in the meet and greet time. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So who is Sandra? Well, uh, let me see. My very favorite hymn, I'm going to start there. My very favorite hymn is um, Like a River Glorious. What's a hymn? It's a hymn. It's a gospel song. That you uh, I'm not that. Old, I'm not that young. In the old hymn books. You're like, hymn's a pronoun. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and the part that... Um, I love the most is um, it goes uh, stayed upon Jehovah hearts are fully blessed finding as he promised perfect peace and rest and so my Sandra is someone who wants to know Jesus in his fullness for her but she knows that Jesus is her stay and her strength, and he's steadfast. That's where I start. I start there because I was born into a United Mennonite home in St. Catherine's area. My father was born in Russia, and he and his family migrated or migrated, immigrated to Canada when he was uh, two or three or four years old, I forget how old, maybe five. And they moved up to uh, northern Ontario, Kapiskasin, Kapiskasin area. And uh, my mother, her family was uh, from Germany. She was born in Manitoba, and they settled in uh, southern Ontario in uh, Port Rowan area. Mm. And uh, <clears throat> both from very strong united Mennonite backgrounds that's their faith and um, to a certain extent 
their faith was very personal to them, but it also was linked a lot with the whole Mennonite movement. So they were Mennonites by faith, but also Mennonites by tradition. Mm -hmm. And so uh, that was that was the home that I was born into and raised into. I'm one of six kids. I'm the third oldest daughter. Uh, four girls and two boys. Our brothers are the last two in the family. Um, when I was born, um, I was born on a very famous day, April 1st, and uh, my father was convinced I was a boy, and uh, when I came into the world, my mother uh, said it was a little girl, and uh, my father all my life said I was the greatest disappointment he'd ever had in his life, <laughs> and as a little girl, you sort of take that as, well, I'm going to prove to you I'm not a disappointment. Mm -hmm. As an adult, you know, well, he's just saying that because he really wanted a son. Yeah. So poor guy, he finally got his two, two sons. But um, So all my life, that was, that was what I was determined to prove to my dad, that I was not a disappointment. And um, I think I was about 40 years old, Carrie, when... My dad phoned me one day, which was unusual. Uh, it was usually my mother that called. And um, he said to me, I don't know if you know how proud I am of you. And that was a healing for mm -hmm. me as an adult. All those years of that little girl trying to prove that she was not a disappointment. She was worth something. And so that's why I feel so strongly that Jesus is my stay. He's my strength. I'm going to stay there and stick there because I'm not a disappointment to Jesus. Mm -hmm. And so that's, that's basically where all things in life sort of came from. Um, we were very faithful in the church. We went to a German-speaking church when I was just a little kid. And I hated every minute of it because I didn't understand German. My parents spoke German in the home until my until I was born, and then they switched to English. I think they thought, well, we're in Canada. I guess we maybe mm. should be speaking English in, in, in home. I hated going to church, and I didn't like it. And I was glad when the pastor said amen, and we could go home. And um, so the whole aspect of church wasn't so fun for me. Faith was. We had our family devotions and our prayer and we did our grace at the meal times and our going to sleep prayers and all that sort of stuff and that was that was good. The scriptures were very important in our home and um, I thank the Lord for my parents for that because they instilled in us how important the word of God was. Um, I remember when I was about 10 years old, my Sunday school teacher, we'd gone then, we'd left that church, we'd moved from that area, left that church, and we started attending a Baptist church, actually, which is really quite intriguing, from United Mennonite to a Baptist. My Sunday school teacher said to my mother one time, she said, I really like having Sandra in my Sunday school class, because she knows all the Bible stories. And my mother, she looked at my Sunday school teacher, and she said, her hands on her hips like my mother always did when she was trying to get her point across she said and so she should <laughs> and like that was just that was just very important 
prayer not so much I didn't really see my my parents having a prayer life but a, 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 a life of scripture was very important church and scripture was important to us and I, I thank the Lord for that um, although I hated church as a kid I love church now mm -hmm. in terms of meeting with fellow believers and I, I enjoy that very much <clears throat> and so that's how we were raised raised on a fruit farm in Niagara. We were just renting a house then. Uh, my father worked for the Canadian Pacific Railway. He was gone most weeks, so only home on the weekends. And uh, we uh, had a, a fun childhood. Most of us were pretty poor, but most of us in that community were poor. And so we never thought we were poor. And uh, we had, uh, I lived most of my childhood and teen years with hand-me-down clothes and all that stuff, but we never thought we were poor because we were a happy family, and we were. My siblings and I are very close, and I thank God for that. I really do. So that that's where I stem from, I come from. Um, we moved to the Stainer area when I was 14 years old. My parents were looking for a church, and um, we went to a Sunday morning service at Stainer Missionary Church, and um, my mother really liked it. They were really looking for a church that had a good youth program, mm -hmm. and not many churches in those days had a youth program when I was 14. And so... Uh, Stainer Missionary Church did have a good youth program, and so that's where we settled. When my parents found out that Missionary Church had its Mennonites roots, that's when we were just at home. And so that was that was just life. And so I've been part of the Missionary Church since I've been 14. Came to faith when I was that age. Um, my grandparents lived here in Kitchener. My mother's parents lived here in Kitchener um, by Wilson Avenue School there. And... Um, We'd come down on Mother's Day, May the 8th, 1966, and I remember that's the day I came to faith in Jesus Christ. We'd come down to a Leighton Ford crusade at the auditorium here in Kitchener, and uh, I gave my life to Jesus that morning. And uh, my mother said, to counterbalance my father, you've been my greatest disappointment in my life. My mother said that was the best Mother's Day gift mm. she ever received, and uh, so that's, that's my claim to fame. <laughs> So what changed, though, for you with that? Because the day before that, you would have said you were a Christian. I would have said I was a Christian. Yeah, yeah I would have. I think when, I, when we were there, I think, I think the Spirit of Jesus just said to me, this is true. Mm -hmm. And I remember sitting in that auditorium, and I was very, um, I would say I was under conviction of sin. I was very restless, and I remember my mother looking at me a couple of times, and she would say, just settle down, smarten up, be quiet, you know, and I was really restless. And um, when uh, they gave um, the opportunity to um, make yourself known to Jesus and all that, I thought, yeah, this, this is true. This is what I've learned all my life. This is what I've heard all my life. This is true. And so that was it. I was very sarcastic when I was a youngster mm -hmm. and a, a teenager. And uh, sarcasm actually is my go-to kind of humor. Mm -hmm. And um, 
I noticed that the Lord began to change me in those formative years. What was unfortunate in my formative years in Jesus was that there was not really someone who came alongside me to disciple me in the things of Jesus. No one ever taught me how to pray. No one ever really taught me how to read scriptures for me. I read the scriptures for Bible stories because I love stories and I love English and I love that. Mm -hmm. I never really read it for me. And so... Um, that was unfortunate. And so through my through my high school years, I floundered. Um, one day I would be a Christian. One day I wasn't. One day I had faith in Jesus. The next day I didn't. You know that that sort of thing. But I think the roots were there, and um, that that kept me going. Um, when I graduated from high school, I wanted to teach English literature, and so. I applied to a number of universities and actually was accepted in all of them. Waterloo was one of the universities I, I applied to. And um, my girlfriend then um, asked me to go with her for college for a day mm -hmm. at Central Baptist Seminary, which is now Heritage mm -hmm. in Cambridge. And um, she was in her first year and she invited me to go for college for a day. And I said, I'm not going to Bible school. I don't even know why I would go. But she was my friend, so I went. And that totally changed my career or mm. my focus on life. And, trajectory. Uh, <laughs> my trajectory, yeah. yeah. And um, so I went to uh, Central Baptist Seminary for four years, Bachelor of Religious Education. So what happened at that meeting or that class that you went to? Like, what? I don't know, Carrie, and I can't really, I can't really define it. Yeah. It just was, this is what you need to do. And you just found it super interesting, I guess. I just, I just thought, yeah. well, if that's what I'm supposed to do, that's what I'm supposed to do. Yeah. And um, I kind of feel that that's sort of, that's interesting you, you ask that question, because I kind of feel that that's sort of been how I've lived my life. I just sort of know. Mm-hmm. I guess that's the spirit of Jesus just saying yeah. something within your own spirit. That that's I'm going to come to you whenever I have a tough life decision to make and hope you just know what to do. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So uh, I graduated from Central Baptist Seminary and uh, was hired on at uh, the Missionary Church in Owen Sound mm -hmm. as their CE director slash church secretary slash youth pastor slash women's visitation slash this 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 and um so i was hired there and i went i remember um i'd been at the church for about four days and they decided that they were going to uh, strip the wax on the floor in the sanctuary and so here we are a whole bunch of us on our hands and knees underneath the pews stripping old wax off the floor and they were going to rewax it. And one of the ladies looked at me and she said, uh, I bet you didn't think you went to Bible school for four years to do this, did you? <laughs> <laughs> and it was interesting, Carrie. It just in that moment when she said that, I thought, so this is what being a servant of Jesus should be like. And so I guess you just do what you're supposed to do. Mm. And so that's been sort of my theme in the back of my head. State upon Jehovah, hearts are fully blessed. 
finding, as he promised, perfect peace and rest. And that's the servanthood. That's being a servant. So that's that's where I was. I was in Owensland for five years, and then I moved to Toronto out of our Banfield Church, which is now Wellspring uh, Praise Center, and uh, worked there for another three or four years. While I was there, actually while I was still in Owen Sound, we had a guest speaker come, and um, he was there for a week of special services, I called them in those days. And um, he then invited me to go and work with him in, in Toronto. And uh, so I was his administrative assistant. Mm -hmm. And um, there uh, we began to do some um, post-counseling for 100 Huntley Street. Mm -hmm. And so I began to be involved in that. Uh, people would uh, from Huntley Street would call and say, we need someone to go and see this lady so I did that, and I did that for a couple of years. And most of the ladies that I had the privilege of of sharing life with were uh, from a Latino background, which I didn't really tweak into that until I'd been many years in Brazil. Mm -hmm. And um, but that was a, that was a good stepping stone learning experience for me. And um, <clears throat> from there, at there while I was in Toronto. Um, family from the church uh, paid for our um, meal to uh, Wycliffe Bible Translators fundraiser and um, paid for me and a whole bunch of other young people and and so we went and I didn't really go because I was interested in Wycliffe Bible Translators I went because they were going to roast a pig on an open <laughs> and I've never seen that in my entire life. And so I thought, I'm going to go and see this. And uh, so I actually went for the food. But um, I kind of think in life, it doesn't matter what your motives are. If way down, deep down inside, you've got this faith, you've mm -hmm. got this life with Jesus, you've got this wanting to be with him and wanting to walk with him and wanting to know him in a deeper way. Um, he can cut through all that stuff. Mm -hmm. and he can speak to you and he did he spoke to me that night the missionary that was speaking was um from um the Wycliffe jars their their flight um he was a pilot and uh, he talked about a number of um people groups in the filipino area philippines area and um who had never heard of jesus christ and i guess i was pretty naive in those days that was in the early 80s um, I thought, what do you mean no one's never heard of Jesus, you know? And uh, I, I remember wrestling with God that night, and I'm saying, this is ridiculous. How come they've mm -hmm. never heard of Jesus? Like, I don't get that. I just don't, I don't get that. Mm -hmm. And um, he would go on and talk about all these people groups that had never heard of Jesus, and I'm saying to God, that makes me pretty angry, you know? Why don't you do something about it? And Carrie, until this day, I remember the voice. There was an audible voice in my left ear. It was an audible voice. And that voice said, why don't you do something about it? And I said, okay, I will. So the next day, I applied to World Partners. Um, 
go to Mission Field. And I uh, sent a letter saying I was available. Had no country in mind. Had no people group in mind. I'm making myself available. Here I am type of a thing. And so uh, I didn't hear anything. I didn't hear anything and didn't hear anything and didn't hear anything and didn't hear anything. And six months went by and I thought, okay, I guess it was a test. Mm -hmm. It's just testing if I would go, if I really would go. And um, so I forgot about it. I didn't really think of going with any other mission agency. I thought if I'm going to the mission field, I'll go with my church. Mm -hmm. And we were attending the missionary church in Stainer at that time. No, I was in Toronto at Banfield. So that's, I'm sorry. Yeah. And so we, uh, I waited, didn't hear anything. And I thought, okay, that's good. Went on with life. And um, as I was making the decision just to not think about it anymore, I got a letter from, um, Real Partners in Fort Wayne, Indiana, mm. and uh, said, oh, I just read your letter. He was the new director, and it was under a pile of mail on his desk, huh. and he said, I'll be in Toronto next week. Can we have a cup of coffee? Hmm. And I got the ball, ball rolling for uh, <clears throat> ministry and missions. And um, <clears throat> I had a cup of coffee with him and uh, went through the massive... Um, <clears throat> application process and it was a massive process and a long long time in all of that time i went through the process of being becoming a licensed minister with missionary church and uh <clears throat> was accepted as a licensed minister and then uh, accepted as a credentialed missionary with the ncc mm -hmm. and so um while I'm doing my application process for the mission field, um, they said, where would you like to go? And I said, I don't have a country. I don't have a people group. I don't know. So they chose four countries for me to choose. And uh, one was Nigeria to work in min women's ministries. One was uh, Ecuador to work in uh, children's camps and ministries. One was the Dominican Republic to work in making disciples, and the last one was Brazil. And uh, I would have enjoyed all three of those others. Some of those countries I knew missionaries that I highly respect, and I thought, oh, I, that would work, that would work, that would work. But when I saw the word Brazil, I just there's again. I mm -hmm. just I just knew mm -hmm. that's that's where I'm going. And so they were looking for uh, a person who had some counseling skills and uh, disciple making skills. And um, where I would where I would be stationed was in the city of Curitiba, in Paraná, south of Brazil. They had a small work there, but in that church, uh, they had a, a, a young pastor who was um, working with young men who had chemical dependency issues. And they were looking for someone who would help in that area. And uh, so that's where I went and that's where I did. Mm -hmm. So there's a couple things I've thought of during that. Like when you went to Heritage, 
what were your options as a woman back then? Like, were they different? That, like, nowadays, you know, most Bible college, even, like, you, they can do the men and women do the same thing they're interested in. Right. I'm curious if when you went, because I know even, like, EBC and Heritage almost merged not that long ago, but then one of the issues was the female pastor right. kind of thing, and so it didn't happen. And then, so you went to Heritage way back when. Right. And well, like, could you go to be a pastor or go through that program or I don't know. I actually what? would have gone to Emmanuel Bible College. Yeah. But when I went, when I went to Bible school, I thought if I'm going, I'm going for a degree. Mm -hmm. And um, <clears throat> although I love languages, I wasn't interested in a Bachelor of Theology degree. Mm -hmm. I was interested in teaching. So um, I thought the the Bachelor of Religious Education would fit better with yeah. me. Emmanuel wasn't offering that in those days, mm -hmm. and so Central Baptist Seminary was. Um, there were a couple of girls in my class that were doing a Bachelor of Theology degree um, because they loved the languages, mm -hmm. but they were not there because they wanted to go into a pastoral role they wanted to go either into a teaching role or a missions role. And so those really were the two options for women in those days. That's the early 80s. Yeah. No, the late 70s. Actually, yeah. I went. To, I started in 1976. Yeah. So that was actually what was available in those days. And then what was available for you upon graduation? Upon graduation yeah. then <clears throat> was this church in Owen Sound. Yeah. Who was interested in someone who would help them with their... Christian education program. So it actually, looking back, was a glorified Sunday school superintendent role. Yeah. That's really what it was. You're overqualified. I'm overqualified. Yeah. So that's why they stuck in church secretary, women's ministries, youth, and all that sort of stuff. And would Which, that be kind of like the the limit, though, back then? It's like you could be like in charge of women's ministries? Pretty well. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty well. I never preached in that church, mm -hmm. and um, so that's that's pretty well where where it was. Where the liberation came was in Brazil. Yeah, because they really didn't care whether you had names or numbers or letters behind your name. Mm -hmm. They were concerned whether or not you could you could minister to the, into the lives of people, and so I went as as counselor, and. Um, I went on what Fuller Theological Seminary in those days was advocating was called the bonding program. And so I went to Brazil. I knew two words in Portuguese, oi and tchau, mm -hmm. hello and goodbye. Uh, when I went, I had to take a chest x-ray to show that I didn't have tuberculosis going into the country. Mm -hmm. And so at the airport in Sao Paulo, I had to show this chest secretary, and, and so they took me into this small room where this doctor was and a nurse, and he said, uh, and I had no idea what he was talking about, and uh, she said, X-ray, and so I knew they wanted to see this chest secretary that I was taking into the country, and so uh, that's that's my first experience in Brazil, and I was scared out of my mind that's mm -hmm. for sure um 
So I went to Brazil on this program where I lived with two young um, single women. Um, one was a pastor mm. in a Presbyterian church. The other one was uh, an English, uh, was a school teacher. She was learning English. And so the two of them had a smattering of English. So we got along. In, so they were both Brazilian. They were both okay. Brazilian. And I lived with them for a year. And my and my in that year, I was to learn um, as much Portuguese as I could. And so there, the, the bonding program was you learn a little bit and you say it a lot. So I would learn one day, um, bom dia, good morning. Mm -hmm. And I'd go on, I'd go around and I'd walk on the streets and I'd go, I'd say good morning, everybody I can find. Yeah. And then the next day you learn good afternoon. You mm -hmm. do that, you know, that sort of thing. And then um, my one um, very good friend, Miriam, until this day, we are like blood sisters. And it was just a God thing that God knitted us together as sisters in Jesus. She introduced me to about 10 um, um, shopkeepers and people around in that area. And she said, this is Sandra. She's a missionary. She's learning to speak Portuguese. She's going to come by every day to tell you what she's learned and you may correct her. Mm -hmm. And so I did. I did that for a year. Every day I went and I would tell them what I learned. And they would. They'd correct me. Mm -hmm. They'd say, no, you don't say it. It's eh. I said, but that's what I said, eh. No, you didn't say eh. You said eh. I No, it's eh. And, you know, like that. that I know whole, what you're talking about. Whole, I know that. Uh, you know, and. and um, it was the thing where to you, there's no difference in sound. Exactly. And then to them, they're like, no, that's totally different. Exactly. Yeah. And then one day it clicks. And one day it clicks. Exactly. So I was in, been in Brazil for about, uh, about a year. And the director over at Partners came down and uh, wanted to meet the missionary team that was there. And uh, in talking to me, he said, uh, so Sandra, here's my evaluation of your Portuguese. You, um, boy, when you make a mistake, you make a major <laughs> mistake in Portuguese. But you've got the flow of the language. You've got the lilt of the language. And that will cover a multitude of sins. <laughs> and so... He said, just keep on keeping on and that sort of thing. So that's that's what we did. And uh, I would say I am a little more high than functional Portuguese. I'm not I'm not proficient in Portuguese, even though I've been there for 20 years. Mm -hmm. And so, um, uh, yeah. So that was my first. I stayed in that city for 10 years in Curitiba, worked in that area. And um, uh now, were you around a lot of English people? No. Too? No. Okay. No, no. Because I said that's usually the thing that I think messes with your ability to learn is how much you're still able to go back and speak English to like, you know, if the people you're living with speak English. Or exactly. Something. Exactly. Actually, um, when I went to Brazil, um, I was not allowed to see my other missionary colleagues for the first two months that I was in Brazil, mm -hmm. be just because of that, because I would have fallen so so far back on English that I would have forgotten anything that I had mm -hmm. learned in Portuguese. So I was not allowed to even see them. They didn't even come to the airport to greet me. It was all port. It was all Brazilians that met me, mm -hmm. and that's what it had to be. And uh, it was extremely isolating, extremely frustrating, but that's what it needed to be. I remember I'd been in Brazil for about three months and um, 
I was so tired because you have to be on all the time because you're only hearing Portuguese and you're not getting maybe you might I might have been getting 15% of it you mm -hmm. get a word in a sentence type of an idea and um, I wrote a letter to the director of World Partners and I said uh, this program doesn't work I hate Brazil I hate Portuguese I hate Brazilians I hate rice and beans this is not gonna work can I go home and uh, in those days, it took two weeks for a letter to get from Brazil to Canada. And uh, so two weeks later, he gets this letter. And he said to me afterwards, he said, oh, my heart just broke for you, young <laughs> my friend. I just was so, I was just so, so sorry to hear you say that. But he wrote me back a letter and I got it two weeks later. So a month had gone by and he said, no, you can't come home, stick it out, girl. <laughs> Which I did do and I'm, I'm grateful. I'm grateful that he said you can't come home. But uh, yeah, my first book I ever read in Portuguese was an Agatha Christie mystery. It took me a year to get through it. Mm -hmm. And I uh, had uh, my English Portuguese dictionary right beside me and I'd read a line and I'd have to look up about six words in a sentence. And yeah. uh, I got through it. And uh, yeah, it was it was all good. I stayed in, Port in, in uh, Curitiba for 10 years. And... Um, there, um, afterwards, one of our pastors said he was living up in the northeast area, and he said, I need someone to come and help me in the area of music. And so I went up to the state of Bahia. Uh, for I was there for two and a half years. And um, I worked in music. I taught piano. Mm. I taught music. I taught voice lessons. I had uh, three or four choirs. I taught children. And um, that was really a lot of fun, but it's not the area that I really wanted to base my life on. Mm -hmm. From there, I moved into the Amazon Basin up in the state of Hondonia, city of Porto Velho, which is the capital of that state. And um, there I began to work in the area of uh, pastoral training. And uh, that's where I felt right at home. Mm -hmm. And that was, that was a gift for me. I was there for 10 years and uh, saw a number of our young people um, uh, honed in their skills in terms of, terms of learning to be like Jesus and uh, their pastoral skills and leadership skills. And that was, that was a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. I was alone in the city. Um, actually, I didn't live near any of my missionary colleagues ever in Brazil. Uh, Ron and Jeanette Faw. They were missionaries in Brazil for a number of years. He had an accident, a motorcycle accident, and was um, in a wheelchair for many years. And uh, they lived about six hours to the south from where I was. And uh, although we would talk on the phone frequently, I only saw them maybe once a month. Type of mm -hmm. idea. So I was always alone in terms of my missionary colleagues, mm -hmm. which for me was the best thing because uh, I then made some very good long lifelong lasting friends mm -hmm. and uh, to this day we're on whatsapp mm -hmm. <laughs> and uh that's that's really been wonderful and so that career for me was just really great while i was in hondonia my last 10 years in brazil i did my masters of uh, theology mm -hmm. in uh, one of the universities there 
and um, that was really a lot of fun. And I did that with one of our missionary, one of my um, pastor couple friends. So, so was, what was language good. was that in? Portuguese. So you don't think you're that great at Portuguese, but you studied I did my, it. I did study it, <laughs> and you yeah. got a master's <laughs> in Portuguese. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's been really fun. So then, in um, around uh, beginning of two thousand and five, my uh, I was home on a home ministry assignment, and for the very first time in my time that I'd been in Brazil, my mother said to me, I wish you didn't have to go back. Mm -hmm. She'd never said that and had said it all the time. I will never say that. Mm -hmm. My mother wrote me a, wrote me a letter every single week for 20 years. Wow. And uh, I've got them in my home. And one day when I'm feeling uh, up to it, I'll go over those letters again and just mm -hmm. remember my mom. And so um, I've, I began to think through, what do I do with that? My parents are getting elderly. I have five siblings here who can take care of them. They don't really need me mm -hmm. here. But yet, Carrie, I always felt as a single person, I really did need to honor my parents in life. Mm -hmm. And uh, my father really would be, as a single person, my father really would be my spiritual head as a single woman. Mm -hmm. And so my dad and my mother started to say, well, she didn't have to go back. And so I thought, okay, Lord, what do I do with this? And I just really felt yeah, it's time. And so I returned to Canada at the end of 2006. As I'm preparing to return to Canada, I get a phone call from the director of World Partners who was stationed in Calgary and said, we're looking for an associate director of World Partners. Would you be interested in this, which would be community relations, World Partners, and, and working with our churches across mm -hmm. Canada. Which I thought, oh, I'd like to do that. Mm -hmm. And I thought, that's, I'd like that. And so I did. I asked a number of people who I uh, trusted and I honored them and affirmed them. And they all said they thought that was good. And then I thought I'll, the last two people I'll talk to were my parents. Mm -hmm. And if there's an inkling of negativity on that, I'll say no. Mm -hmm. And so I talked to them and I said, here's the job. And my mom said, that's great. That fits you. You'll love doing that. And I said, yeah, but the problem is the job is in Calgary. And dead silence on the phone. And then my mother said, well, Calgary's a lot closer than Brazil. <laughs> <laughs> so I thought, okay, here's the positive thing. I'll go for it, which I did do. And I was the, I was the associate director for two years. And then, uh, I transitioned in 2009 to director of EMCC World Partners, stationed in Calgary, and so I was there for another 10 years. Did it give you then more freedom to visit family? It did. I okay. was in I was in Ontario about once every two months. Okay. Actually, in 2007, I saw my parents more than my brothers did. Mm. So I have a brother who lives in Barrie. My brother lives in Orillia. Yeah. I saw them more often than my brothers. 
live yeah. here. And how here. often were you coming home when you were in Brazil? Every two and a half, every three years. Okay, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> big difference. Yeah, big difference. Which was a godsend because my mother took suddenly ill at the beginning of 2008 and passed away in February 2008. Mm -hmm. And so I had more time with her that year than I had in my whole almost adult life, mm -hmm. which I give great thanks to the Lord for that. So, yeah. So I retired in um, September 2017 and moved to Ontario, which was always my plan. My sister and mm -hmm. I own a home here. I thought, why would I pay rent in Calgary and own a home in Cal in Ontario? So I, I moved back here. Mm -hmm. While I was here one year um, for um, national EMCC national team meetings, um, Mark Thornton gave, de gave devotions one morning. And um, he talked about Lincoln Heights Church. He's pastoring here part-time. And this small church that needs help. And he said, I wonder what it would look like if we as churches in this area work together as a team. Mm -hmm. He said, I wonder what it would look like if each church sent me a family and they stayed with me for a year. Yeah. What would that look like for Lincoln Heights Church? It would be a life to us. Mm -hmm. And he talked a lot about that. And as he's talking about it, Carrie, I thought, there's no reason why I can't go and help. Mm -hmm. Why not? I'm not going to be in Toronto where my, where uh, I'm not going to go to Banfield. I'm not going to go to Owen Sound. I'm not going to move there. I'm, mm -hmm. I'm going to be in Kitchener. This, a church needs help. Why can't I go? And so that stuck in my mind for about four years. Why not? There's no reason why I can't. So when I moved back here, I... I did the visiting of the churches in the area. Mm. I actually even went to Evangel. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, um, I thought, well, they've got lots of good people here at this church. And just in the back of my mind was always Lincoln Heights, Lincoln Heights, Lincoln Heights. That's why I chose to stay in Lincoln Heights. Mm -hmm. And uh, <clears throat> it's been a blessing. And so I'm pleased that we've made this wedding between Lincoln Heights and Evangel and together we're Verity Church and it's been it's been great mm -hmm. good so like yeah just you, you more questions come up with I guess with you that are different than anyone else I've really talked to right. because you're a woman who's done all this study which in theology in the church but like you're not an elder yeah. Right? Right. But if you were a man, you probably would be. Correct. What do you think of that? Or like, you know, how... <laughs> <laughs> I was an elder in Brazil. Mm -hmm. um, and um, I made it my purpose in life to work as a team with my fellow pastors. I never pastored a church in Brazil, but I was very involved in leadership. And Is that because of your own belief um, in <clears throat> female pastorship? Or I, was it... I, I, yeah, it's my own belief. I believe... I believe we need to work together. Mm -hmm. 
I strongly have fear for men and women who think they're lone rangers. And so we need to be together. Whatever role that is, we need to work as a team. And so that's what I did when I was in Brazil. Mm -hmm. I always made sure that anything I was doing, my pastoral colleagues knew that. And so I've, I've that's been my, my stance in love. Um, that's where I'm sitting at this yeah. point. Because yeah, I was just curious because you've had these different roles mm -hmm. and I'm like, I wonder where you're, where you fall on this sort of spectrum of women's ability to lead is. And so I guess then yeah, the next question would logically be like, what do you believe? Do you believe women can do all the same roles as a man in the church? Yes. Okay. And... Um, was that a, something you've always believed in or did you come to that belief? Because, and I guess how you deal with the typical verses, right? That, you know, you, so we, most of us in our beliefs have certain verses in the Bible that we have to sort of struggle with right. to come up with, well, how do I believe what I believe and believe this verse is true or, or right. whatever? Yeah. I think, um, how do I phrase this? I guess we'll, why don't we start with, was there any, was it something you came to or um, it later or as you grew or did you always hold the, the, that belief? I would say it was later as I grew mm -hmm. and I would say um, more of a freedom that I had in Brazil. Mm-hmm. And more of um, of an ability to minister in Brazil in that freedom, and more of a of a of a affirmation of an affirmation from my Brazilian colleagues, pastoral colleagues in Brazil that that's that's okay, mm -hmm. and so that's where my stance would be from there. They're very much a macho society, mm -hmm. like any other Latino country, although Brazil not actually considered, considered Latino. They're the only Portuguese-speaking mm. country in South America. Very much a macho society and very much that. Um, but they would say that a pastor's wife would be a pastora. Mm -hmm. And so they, they would call me Pastora Sandra. And um, that's mm -hmm. that's that. And now that, that <laughs> your views that. evolved with that, yeah. then, yeah. And yeah. then, yeah. Do you struggle with some of those things Paul says, or did you find an answer for yourself? I I found an answer for myself in that. <clears throat> Who's coming to faith in Jesus? Who's being discipled in Jesus? Where are they learning that from? Who speaks into their lives? Um, 
I see some inklings in Paul's writings where he gives some of that opportunity to women. And um, I'm going to walk there. <laughs> mm -hmm. And then one of the other things that you talked about was the whole lone wolf thing. And yeah. Tom, you know, we got to be a team. Right. Then did that present a struggle, though, for you in that you were a single person? You, oh, okay. You know, yeah. so you, you haven't in your personal life had that same, I guess, husband-wife team. Right. And was that something that was hard or has been? Well, it's always, it's, it's, there's the pros and the cons of that. Yeah. <laughs> you know that. There's the pro, there's the cons of being a single person. You're by yourself. Um, how do you walk circumspectly in life? How do you work, walk circumspectly with people? How, how are you uh, in your moral stance? How are you, how are you handling all that? Um, <clears throat> then there's the cons, uh, the pros of um, being free, <laughs> you know, uh, doing what you want to do, where you can go without having constraints of family and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. There's, there's all that. I made sure, um, Carrie, and I hope I've done that here, um, I made sure that I worked with a pastoral couple, that the wife was as involved in anything that I talked about with the pastor than I would ever be only by myself with a pastor. Yeah. And so um, I made sure of that. I never sat be in between a husband and a wife, mm -hmm. <laughs> ever. Never, ever done that. I never will do that. And um, I always said, would you like to sit beside your husband? Sometimes the wife will say, I sit beside him all the time. You can sit beside him. And I'd go, well, how be you just sort of, how be I sit on the other side of him and you sit, yeah. <laughs> you know, that sort of thing. That 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 kind of a, of a, of a thing. Um, and so I, I think it's important. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then so you've, probably heard Stan say this, uh, I think he said it a few times up front at least, about how uh, he believes that like there's people in our lives that God uses to shape us and sort of whittle away at us. And, you know, first your parents, then sort of your friends, but then the person who most does that would be your spouse because they're, you know, in their right. day in, day out. Who has been that person for you, would you say, that like... <laughs> Okay. Without having yeah. a spouse. I have three women in my life that are that. Mm -hmm. The first one is my friend Miriam, which I met in 1984 when I moved to Curitiba. She was one of the gals that I lived with my first year there, Miriam. And uh, she was the pastor of that Presbyterian church. She's not married. She and her husband co-pastor church in Curitiba. She and I, we clicked right off the bat. And we have been close friends. And she's my... She's my mentor. She's been my coach. She's been my inspiration for ever. Isn't it interesting how that can happen? I've had that with one of my friends where I've got friends my whole life. But I met one guy once and it was just like best friends. Right. Like, you know, I've got many best friends, I guess. But with him, it was just it was just some this exactly. weird click. Yeah, yeah. I strongly believe that we need to be discipling someone and we need to have someone discipling us. Mm -hmm. So it's the give and the take all the time. 
Um, my second friend is Rebecca. She's um, she and her husband um, um, missionaries in the Amazon basin to river people, and um, uh, they now live in in uh, Colorado in the United States. Um, and she's kind of a shoot from the hip kind of person, and um, she would correct me in things like I remember saying one time about uh, raising support, and I said. Um, I don't really enjoy it's not my favorite thing to do in life and sometimes I feel like I'm sort of like a, a little bit of a uh, slave begging for the little crumbs from people's plates and all this sort of stuff and she I said that to her one day and she looked at me and she said I cannot believe you said that I cannot believe that you don't know that you are the daughter of the living God and she's going on and on and on and on and on and she's just she just she's lambasted me and she's like that and I I need that mm -hmm. I need that the third person in my life is my friend Jean Winker from she lives in New Hamburg and uh, she and I are very close and she's she's like that too she's my she's she's a coach she's a mentor she's she speaks into my life we've done um, a couple of leadership journaling books together and uh, we talk often on the phone so she's like that too mm -hmm. my sisters to a certain extent are like that too but they all have their individual lives as well so these women uh, these three women I would say are the ones that would mostly be the catalyst in my life at mm -hmm. this point so what do you you know I guess you've seen you've seen a change different than those of us from Evangel at this place because you stayed in the same location Correct. right so we we moved and yeah. we to us we were starting over as new almost right right just that's for whatever reason changing the building makes it feel like that right for you you saw where we were like what's what's the i guess the transition been like um, from Lincoln Road to Verity, how how has things changed in this church? I, like, what are the good things that that have happened? We were extremely tired mm. when um, <clears throat> when we began when I and our leadership I we began speaking to Stan about about this merger. We were tired. Because you guys had been kind of yanked back and forth with some other things prior exactly. to our merger, too. Exactly. And um, we were an older group of people as well. Mm -hmm. And so um, <clears throat> we were tired. And um, we, were, we were glad um, for the conversations about the merger. Um, I, I, I think, well, I know, I know that this was of God for Lincoln Heights Church, this merger with Evangel. I know that. I know that. And um, I stand on that, firmly on that. This was good for us and was of God and was necessary for us. Um, I think, though, we got this whole mass of people coming into our building. Mm. <laughs> and I think it was a little bit of a, of a, um, an adjustment for the Lincoln Heights folks. 
those that I've talked to have loved Stan mm -hmm. and they've loved what's happening. Those that were going to leave left before the uh, merger. Mm -hmm. And so that was not an issue. Um, I think they've gone through a, a grieving process, if you want to use that word. That Lincoln Heights no longer exists is now Verity. Yeah. Uh, I think we've we've handled that okay, um, and it's um, it's been good. Mm -hmm. And I guess what are your hopes for Verity? Oh wow! Because I think you <laughs> you've got to. I mean, you've got to have some like you're planning a mission trip. Right. Right. There's going to be hopes from that. Uh, right. Then you've, we've been planning other things for the community. Yep. Um, I guess, where, where do you see this going? Well, two things. First one is my, the passage of scripture, that's my passage of scripture that I pray for Verity is from Isaiah chapter 50. And it says, um, the Lord God has given me the tongue of a disciple that I may sustain the weary one with a word. He's given me the ear of a disciple that I may hear and I will not turn my back. And um, my first desire for all of us is that we are ever growing and reproducing disciples of Jesus. Mm -hmm. I've loved this Who For You project for January that we're talking about. Um, and... Um, in our prayer and fasting time. I uh, my my desire for Verity would be that we each have a disciple that we're that we're speaking into and we're we're ministering into someone's life. Mm -hmm. Whether that be a believer or a non believer. I I somebody mm -hmm. who is that person for you? Who is that person for me? And um, that's my first desire for uh, for Verity Church. My second desire is that um, this is a hopping place and that we can see this place as a catalyst for this community and uh, whatever that would mean. Uh, we've got the Girl Guides here, which is wonderful. When did they start here? Oh, they've been here for years. Oh, years. Okay. Oh, they've been here for years. Yeah. And it's good. Um, what, what else can we do in terms of community uh, things for... What else can we do in this building? Mm -hmm. um, and um, that's that's exciting for me. I, I, I think that's where we need to be going here. What kind of a, a kind of prayer walks could we be doing in the community? What kind of, um, um, I don't know, just sort of think along those lines. Mm -hmm. What are we going to do with school, <laughs> you know? We got the school over there on Blue Vale as well, you know, like what are we going to do with all those kinds of things, you know, it's kind of... Yeah, and it's been interesting. interesting because a lot of our plans all of a sudden had to just stop because of the pandemic. And, you know, probably the worst time to start a new church because it's like our, yeah, our grand opening never did it. I don't think it happened. I think the pandemic, the quarantine started before we had our, like... We had one thing. meeting together, and then we had like, to close down. Yeah. Yeah. 
I'm thinking maybe our grand opening was when we had Dr. Tom Dow with us that right, time, yeah. and maybe that was that was kind of what it is. And, and maybe now that we are a legal entity, yeah, you know, maybe we can have some sort of a grand thing and bring yeah. bring in uh, our president of the EMCC. Who knows? Yeah, but, but I mean, I, I think it's been it's cool the stuff we've been able to figure out what the things that we can do in the community, uh, despite you know, not being able to open the doors. Exactly. Exactly. And so we, we need to be creative. I find that together we are a creative bunch of people mm -hmm. and uh, together we, uh, we are a strong force and together uh, we're, we're, um, we're upbeat and together we're um, just uh, really um, looking to what God can do through us in this community. And uh, that's great. That's awesome. Well, I've got five minutes before I've got to get up there and do the band <laughs> band practice. Yeah. So thanks so much for coming and my sharing pleasure, your story. My honor. Thank you so and much maybe for we'll the have uh, another time to do this again with well, you know, maybe have another topic to talk about that we can hit on or you can join us in one of our other discussions. Sure. It'd be, that'd great. be awesome. That'd be great. But uh yeah, everyone hope you enjoyed. We'll see you next time. Word with God podcast. Check it out.